Welcome to another episode of Morelli Python Radio, and tonight we are joined by Peter Kuhn, uh, a.k.a. Python Pete. For those uh, people um, that are into Morelia, you've probably heard Python Pete line, jungles, womas, blackheads, diamonds, all these different uh, Australian reptiles uh, from, from back in the, uh, I would say, probably mid late 90s early 2000s uh, but yeah we'll get into that yep. um so yeah let's do it cool welcome to the show nice well, to finally meet you how you doing thanks good to meet you guys glad to be yeah. here yeah so uh we kind of just kind of ease into it a little bit just uh straight off the bat i mean what 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 kind of brought you into reptiles in the beginning the whole like way back when way in the starting point well, I think a lot of kids are interested in reptiles. So mm -hmm. I remember having a little horny toad and a little turtle and uh, a garter snake when I was really very young mm -hmm. and killed them all. I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how <laughs> there was nobody around to really show me how to keep them alive. Mm -hmm. I remember trying to feed uh, this little garter snake. I don't even know where I got it. And it was a little aquarium. Uh, and some somebody, my brother or dad said, oh, well, you feed it hamburgers. So I was making little pellets out of raw hamburger, right? And needless to say, the poor, poor creature starved to death. That's, it's not okay. Yeah, that, that wasn't going to go well. But. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing, too. Like, uh, you know, I think a lot of reptile keepers in today's era – they don't understand like there wasn't an internet there wasn't books i mean i mean not an internet there wasn't like people that actually were breeding these animals and understood them and there was so much to learn and so many hurdles to overcome you know uh, yeah in the late 50s uh in the san fernando valley where i grew up uh -huh. um, mm -hmm. early years you know there was nobody even keeping them right so yeah. there was a lot of us who would go out and catch lizards Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember just how uh, the miracle of catching my first blue belly mm -hmm. and the lizard and, and turning it over. And it's like, wow, the belly's blue. This is cool. <laughs> the name makes sense. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or an alligator lizard. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. They're cool. That's yeah, awesome. Very cool. So, like, did, did so that started there with like a couple little things. I mean, when did it really kind of explode and erupt into a bunch of different animals and a larger collection. Yeah. Well, after, you know, killing them when I was young <laughs> and I think, you know, it needs to be said that a part of any reptile breeder or hobbyist is that we're going to, we're going to lose animals. The animals are yeah. going to die, you know, but uh, when, let's see, what year was this? I got married in about, you know, the, the early nineties and, um, uh, Bought a turtle for the little girl, my little stepdaughter, and bought an iguana for the family, and thought it was cool, and and learned more about how to keep them, and and uh, I think the turtle died, then my daughter pretty much killed that, but the iguana I was looking after, and that thing got huge and thrived, and, and we wound up with like a floor to ceiling terrarium. Jesus, and oh, nice. uh, we'd go out and pick hibiscus and other mm. things for it. And, um, and that, uh, actually that little iguana was named Lester and it wasn't so little by the time it, by the time we sold it, it was huh. just too big to manage. Yeah. But, uh, the snake thing happened when my stepson came home from a visit to his dad 
with a little baby garters, a little baby gopher snake. Oh, cool. That he had found on the porch of his dad's place. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, and he wanted to keep it. And I said, no way. <laughs> and by this time, yeah, we can come back around on my story later. But yeah. by this time, you know, we'd been down the iguana, the, uh, you know, everything else. And, mm-hmm. and my wife said, come on, Pete, you kept reptiles, you know, let him have it, let him have it. And I knew that it would wind up being my responsibility, but I finally conceded and kind of fell in love with her pediculture and being able to keep a snake alive and care for it and have it thrive. Uh, And, uh, and, and I'll tell you the, uh, when, when I started to throw extra mice or anything that didn't get eaten to the iguana, it was a very happy iguana too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, everybody you needs a garbage extra. disposal. Yeah. You got to have yeah. that one animal that you can be like, chuck it to. Yeah. You got to have yeah. that. Yeah. It sure is nice, huh? Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is I was, uh, you know, one of your questions is how I went from music to herpetoculture. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and we can circle back to that. But at the time I was selling semiconductors and doing this very high powered sales of microchips and I'd come home at the end of the day and just being able to be with this reptile, to be with this little gopher snake, which wasn't so little in the end, um, was a beautiful thing because it helped me quiet my mind, helped mm-hmm. me touch a part of my psyche. and uh, Not even consciously, but it was a primitive part of my makeup that was added a balance to this kind of uh, telephone sales I was doing, right. high-powered sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went away one weekend to um, Monterey Jazz Festival and had a housekeeper who was supposed to look after the dog. And and at that point, the snake's name was Wilma, but I found out later it was a male and we changed it to Fred or something. I don't know. (laughs) With the kids. Right. (laughs) And and somehow she let the snake out. Ah, come on. So I came (laughs) home, right? And here's this gopher snake. That is now gone, and I really missed it. You know? Right. And, you know, finding a snake in the house, uh, we can find him sometimes easier in the wild, right? There's a higher likelihood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. And yeah. I thought the, thought the snake was gone, and, and uh, I wanted to replace it. And this may not be the right answer for your question or, or focus, but doing this electronics work, mm-hmm. I had a friend who was a sales rep for a manufacturer, and his name was Scott. And I wish I could remember his last name. Okay. And a couple other local reptile people I'd met. And uh-huh. I was going to go get another snake, and mm-hmm. I love the way Therai looked, you know, uh-huh. they're so colorful. Yeah. And, and oh, king, yeah. king snakes, I, yeah. I still love. And my friend said, well, why get one? Why don't you get two? That's a good, yeah. that's a good friend. I mean, that's, that's a good a, point. That's a, yeah. good, that's yeah, a good friend. Yeah. You're right. I should get two. <laughs> yeah. Get, get two and then you can breed them. Oh. <laughs> and then it was like, yeah. And breeding them. And here was the hook. He says, yeah, watching those little babies hatch is like Christmas. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went down to the reptile show to IRBA in, uh, in, in San Diego and picked up a pair of, uh, a fair eye from Chris Jackson, who you guys okay. may know. Okay. Yeah. And I just loved how colorful and beautiful they were. And, and, uh, by this time, you know, I was bitten by bitten by the hobby. I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. And walking yeah. around IRBA and seeing, you know, the breadth of beautiful snakes that are out there. I saw Woomas and Blackheadeds and beautiful carpets and and uh, brought these little Therai home and of course found the, the gopher snake showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had that where a water python got loose. I'm like, crap, now I got to replace it. I buy a new one. The week after the new one arrives, I find the old one. I'm like, crap, exactly, now I have right? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, still a happy moment. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And the way this goes, you guys, and uh, this is just my story, you know. Mm. Sure, yeah. Is uh, for many years I was a jazz musician and I was a drug addict. And at the end of addiction, I wasn't really able to function as a drug addict and wound up homeless and uh, in and out of the penal system and ultimately living in my car when I, I got into recovery, 12-step recovery. Uh -huh. um, and focused on that, I learned it early on just how to follow my heart. And if I followed my heart and did the next right action, right. things always worked out much to my delight, right. you know, yeah. and better than I could think. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I had these couple little Therai and, and Wilma, who I was about to find out was Fred, I think. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And I'm looking at uh, looking at reptile books and thought, man, what am I? Why am I wasting my time hoping to breed twenty five dollar reptiles? Right. Yeah. When I was making more money than I could dream of at the moment, mm -hmm. because right. drug addicts are good salespeople, and I was right. providing a good service, mm -hmm. you know, right. legitimate parts for legitimate manufacturers, and I, and I was just good at it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought, why don't I spend the same amount of time breeding something that'll bring in a little more money and that I'm more more in love with that's a little more rare that, that I can contribute to continuing some endangered species and and um, yeah. And um, the first snakes I bought, I think, were were probably some Wumas and then uh, you know that that period is a little bit fuzzy. This is going back quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with carpets and jungle carpets and and then uh, picked up some blackheadeds. And I don't know what stuff sells for anymore, but at the time, you know, jungles were, you know, five, around 500-ish. They're, uh, they're about the same. I mean, Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. 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 Some and, of them uh, change, I, but the black, uh, was it jungles are about the same? I, I can only imagine that womas and blackheads have changed insane amounts since that but i don't know yeah well i mean it's not a you know we do this and mm -hmm. and for me it was not about the money mm -hmm. right but the money was incidental and it's <laughs> like well, you know and it is about what's my time mm -hmm. right and i never planned to be a reptile breeder i was a i was a semiconductor salesperson i had a right. family to take care of right. right um but i'm also an addict uh, of, of a type. And uh, I think maybe a lot of herpers are too. So if one is good and a pair is better then you know, a pair of, then a dozen pair is even better. You a know? room full is great. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And yeah. first the wife signs off on one room full and then it's, <laughs> then, it's pretty two, two then it's every room. Then it's a right? building. Yeah, exactly. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
but the what drove me was always the beauty of the animals and Mm. um you know if i hadn't loved woomas and blackheadeds i wouldn't have ponied up what was then you know five thousand dollars an animal for them wow yeah Womas are probably nowadays, I would say, in the a nice Woma is anywhere from four to what six, probably something four to six hundred bucks. Lines, yeah, something yeah. Like yeah. Something by the time lines. I was producing them, they were down to about twenty five hundred. Yeah. Oh wow. And by now, the time I got out, they were down to I think they came down to about a thousand by then. Yeah. Um, was it a rarity at the time? I guess is that nobody is that... could breed them. There's a, oh, really? a few people breeding them. Gotcha. Don Hamper, Frank Reedus, uh, Dick Gergen. Okay. Casey came on, was breeding them. Right. Uh, but very few people could. Gotcha. And, wow. uh, yeah. You took a shot at it. Mm. Yeah, and, and what I did, if there's any, you know, my approach to it wasn't just getting a pair and breeding animals. I want to do... I, this sounds pretty arrogant, but I wanted to improve the breed if I could. And, and sure. that's, that's not to think I can improve on Mother Nature, but what I mean is I, I wanted to find the best, most beautiful animals, the most striking animals that I could to breed so that I had a better chance of producing beautiful, striking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Put mixed, yeah. mixed good animals to produce good offspring like you know really really go for the top quality animals yeah when it comes to jungle carpets which you mm-hmm. know i i love um you know at that time things like red lie and, and and other newer ones that came along later weren't available yeah right you have to go through a lot of them to find ones that hold their color and that stay very beautiful right you know? yeah did you have a did you so you know one thing we always talk about is you know that a lot of the earlier breeders, especially of jungles and stuff, sort of had this vision of making living art and and really intensifying the yellow or the black till it's like jet black. And you know, did you have that vision when you when you were doing it? Like, did, did you see? I that totally did. And actually, um, did you guys ever see the Python Pete webpage? I did. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that was totally my gig. Um, and I think that, that to a large part, the success I enjoyed globally was because I was one of the first reptile websites. <laughs> oh, and the okay. whole thing was done as living art, where the backgrounds were patterns from snapshots of the snakes themselves right. and yeah. made into wallpaper. And and that's what I talked about is them doing this because it, to me, I'm, these beautiful creatures are living art. And that was what attracted me to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of kind of scratched the itch in my musical and the creative and the artistic end of uh, aspect of my person, of my character. It's funny you say that because, you know, I, I'm a musician as well. And um, I, I get a lot of enjoyment out of, out of that same thing. But nowadays I've sort of taken the route of trying to create like a, like a, a zoo style exhibit, a natural naturalist like just like a hunk of australia right in your in your room and like to me there's such beauty in in the enclosure and the animal and watching that animal do what it does in the wild and it just scratches that itch for me so much 
Well, we're kindred spirits, Eric, and, <laughs> and not just because of the music, but something else I did that was pretty, at the time, apparently revolutionary is because my approach was first and foremost to enjoy the animals. I wanted to live with them. I wanted to see them. I wanted mm-hmm. to, to have the chance to love them and, and really enjoy them. Sure. The idea of keeping keeping these beautiful creatures in sliding drawer habitats oh. to me was like, uh, you know, killed my heart. Yeah. And that was the difference between what I was doing and people who were in the reptile business. When you're a large breeder, you right. need to do that because space is space and productivity yeah. is what, what ultimately counts. Yeah. And for me, um, my friend, Mark Patterson, I hired Mark Patterson of Sanmar, who was one of the early uh, habitat mm-hmm. creators. Uh-huh. And you guys look blank. I don't know if you've heard of Sanmar cages I, I, at I, all. I, I want to say mm-hmm. that maybe once or twice, but I'm, I, it has not, not not a very long time, or it's it's kind of tingling the back of my brain. So I'm not <laughs> sure if it's there or not. So <laughs> yeah, a guy named Mark Patterson and his wife Sandy. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they they were early people to create the sliding drawer file cabinet type things, okay. and uh-huh. maybe, maybe tray uh, habitats. And because they were local, mm-hmm. I hired him to make display cases for, uh, for all of my animals. Okay, cool. So as much as possible, um, there was room that was vertical mm-hmm. so uh-huh. that they could thermoregulate. And the cages were all, I mean, I could show you a picture of them, but it doesn't work very well on radio. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, they were, they were glass fronted enclosures that did have a slide tray underneath okay. that had, that had bottom heat. Okay. Okay. But I also had IR panel in the top so that they could climb up because they are somewhat arboreal. You know, right. they do like to be and, and thermal regulate on top or at the bottom. Right. And also for feeding, it was kind of helpful, and for breeding, even to have the the large slide trays. Okay, that's cool. Uh, I like I kind of like that's that. That's kind of like um, I'm trying to think. Uh, um, Bob Applegate kind of had that. Is that what you mean? Like that design that he had, where they had like the the in the bottom part of the cage, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Bob's another local guy. And, okay. Uh, okay. Cool. Yeah, a wonderful guy. Cool. Is he still yeah. alive? Yeah, I think yeah, so. I, I yeah. thought so. I mean, I, that's yeah. the other problem is that you keep hearing about Applegate this and Applegate that. And it's like, is he? I'm not sure because, but he still sends those I, ripples through herpticulture because right. everything's in Applegate. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, he was a pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's caring for the animal in every aspect. And the, and at the time, those cages were a lot of money, but I really mm-hmm. didn't care. And also it placated my wife. So when we have wall-to-wall cages, floor-to-ceiling cages in our dining room, uh, <laughs> so many people would walk in the house and not even register that there was living cre- living and defecating creatures in all of those. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> and, uh, and part of the husbandry end of it was to keep her happy. The cages were kept really clean. Right. Mm-hmm. And to keep me happy. Sure. Uh, yeah. Cause it's a, now it's your little slice of, I, I never got the whole tub things where people just have their entire collection in tubs. Cause I want to see my animals. Like I want, I, I want to check them out. Plus it's easier for me to walk through and be like, there you are. You know, it's rather than have to open a drawer. So. 
yeah, one of my favorite. And I did, you know, you do have favorites. Mm, of course. Uh, <laughs> and one of my favorites was like a, uh, a, a, at least a 10 foot mixed carpet of some sort. Mm, and, yeah. and, uh, certainly not a jungle at that size, but she was just beautiful and had a lot of black and very clear. She might've been a cross and, and those happen in nature too. Mm, sure. But uh, one of these reps offered her to me and he had this 10 foot, 10, 11 foot, beautiful creature in one little three foot slide drawer. Right. Uh, uh, wow. <laughs> Yikes. That's like a tie and, box. Maybe like, come on, man. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And she made the most phenomenal crosses. Oh, really? Yeah, jungle crosses and then breeding her to diamond and, and very high. Uh, yeah, so she was a cross. That's right. She was uh, sold to me as a cross between a diamond and a jungle. Yeah, it would make a, sense yeah. with, the, with the length, yeah. Yeah. So I was producing these 75% diamond crosses. Right. That were really, to me, the best of both worlds. They were hardier, I think, than maybe pure diamonds and equally beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I always wondered why, where the, where the idea, like, you know, there's some speculation that diamonds were harder to breed so that people sort of uh, started breeding them in the jungle so that they could breed them. Um, what was the, or was it that you were trying to make a, a, a nicer snake, I guess? Was that the, Idea? Well, that's what it was to start with. Okay. Okay. And that's what was available. And I, it was like an animal right. rescue. Okay. Right. And right. I just want to make it clear to you guys and your listeners that whatever I'm saying is just purely my opinion right. or sure. misinformed impression. And that I don't claim any kind of expert knowledge or status at all. I'm just in a very, still very ignorant in so many ways. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. But my, my experience is that diamonds are not hard to breed. Right. They're hard to keep alive. Right. Okay. And, and I did breed diamonds and, um, and I did keep some alive for a while, but I think that for whatever reason, they can be a little more susceptible to mm -hmm. other issues. Okay. They're okay. not, they don't seem in, in this climate and this, the conditions that I was raising them in, they were a little more susceptible to virus or respiratory problems. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think, I think today it's more of, um, uh, well, I keep diamond actually they're right next to me yeah, over those, here, those but, them, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, a matter of keeping them colder, right. Um, yeah. not a lot like cooler. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's very strange when you keep a python at those cold temperatures, you know, because it just seems not right, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like what happened with monitors where you need to offer them yes. a, a basking spot that's the 120. Other way. <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. like, wait yeah. a minute, you know, it's counterintuitive. I'm going to cook it. It's yeah. uh, what is it when you, when I uh, first cooled down my bread lie and they're like, you have to get it down to 55. I'm like, N -n no, like that's, that's <laughs> yeah. not, that's not what the bread, that's not what pythons do. Like that's my, yeah. that's Cal King stuff. Like, yeah, no, but yeah, it, you kind of got to get over those hurdles to that. We put in our own head of that something. It should be this way when mother nature clearly tells us it, can do it so well one thing i learned from especially from monitors mm. was how to how to watch and learn from the animal and stop mm. playing god <laughs> and if we create 
an environment where they have enough choices that they can tell us what they want mm-hmm. right and and pay attention to it right <laughs> Then, then we can give them what they're actually looking for. Right. They'll tell you and right. then you can provide it rather than trying to give, trying to rather than playing a guessing game and trying to just throw stuff at it and be like, this is what you need, right? Well, pay attention. You might actually find out what they need. So. Yeah. So for me, um, these days I'm an ordained Zen priest and the meditation practice is very vital to my life. And looking back on the reptile years, the practice of raising reptiles and caring for reptiles was also learning how to quiet my mind mm-hmm. and be present in a non-dialectical way where I could let go of what I thought and kind of engage directly with these amazing animals Yeah, to find out what they were telling, to learn how to listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can do it. It's a right. training. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. we're also addicted to thinking. Yes. And yeah. we're conditioned that way. Yeah. You know, to label everything and to refer to what we know as a way of, of, of seeing the world. And it really, we can't see what we don't know unless we let go of what we know. Yeah. Yeah. My experience with that was the first time that I bred, um, I bred IJs. And it was, uh, I tell the story all the time, I was, I was trying to do maternal incubation and I had the, you know, the nest box sort of set up in this spot. I, it was under the heat and she kept, well, I, I didn't even notice that at first, but it kept moving the heat box. I mean, the, the lay box would move away from the heat. And in my mind, I'm like, no, they need heat. And I kept pushing it back and I would come the next day and it was moved back over. And, and then it clicked and I was like, wait. Maybe she's moving the yeah. nest box. Right. <laughs> you know, Maybe the like, animal in the cage is moving the nest box. Yeah. And I'm right. like, well, she knows better than I do. So maybe I should step back and just let nature take its course and see what happens. Maybe and, stop uh, touching that was her a box, huge, stupid. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, the big, the big monkey is moving, <laughs> moving the, my box. Yeah. Well, that's you a know. moment of enlightenment. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and really, you know, if she's not eating and and hydrating, and she's caring for the eggs and thermoregulating and and doing that deal, being under the heat would would dehydrate her and kill her, right? Right. right. Yeah. Which is why you don't see pythons maternally incubating out in the sun, <laughs> right. in the yeah. wild, right? Yeah. Think about yeah. It. yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know, when I think about it now and <laughs> after the fact, it was like, oh, yeah, that just makes total sunlight. sense. But yeah. I just had this preconceived notion in my head that, you know, it had the, the eggs have to be this certain temperature and the humidity and all this stuff. And I learned that, you know, it was amazing to watch because, and I tell people this all the time, you know, she would actually go under the eggs and lift them up and move them around different right. spots. She would put her, her head down into the coils. I would imagine that maybe that helped with humidity or mm-hmm. keeping them moist as she would breathe inside the coil. Just amazing. You know, it's yeah. it just, yeah. It, I don't know. But yeah. But in those days, people didn't share much about husbandry. Uh, and I hope that has changed. That was part of my mission yes. was to change that. It has so, changed. Yeah. Good. And yeah. it, and with the internet, I mean, yeah, it should change. Yeah. Um, luckily, I've had a lot of great mentors in different areas. And this guy, Buckminster Fuller, who I spent time with uh, as a very young man, kind of indoctrinated me to look at life from 
an attitude of abundance rather than limit. So where the old breeders, if they figured out and learned how to do something, they'd sell you the snakes, but they wouldn't tell you how to succeed with them. Right. And the best thing they could do is that you'd go home and kill them and then come back and buy some more. Right. Right. Yeah. But you're dealing with an animal, you know, so it's kind of, it's a living animal. So it kind of, you know, that may work with, if you're selling, I don't know, (laughs) if you're selling a seat, I I don't know, something besides an animal, it's where it gets tricky. Well, in a way, it's good business to protect what, you know, knowledge has value. Yeah, 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 100%. But if the attitude is we want to share the love of these animals and help. See, that was the thing that really happened with Monitor when I, for years, I I refused to buy anything with legs because I just had to draw a line somewhere, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good line, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the geckos and everything. They're mm-hmm. so beautiful. But then I saw these like uh, little dwarf monitors and fell in love. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like I I really helped to kill that area of industry because little baby monitors were selling for 2000 2500 And by the time I got out, they were down to a couple hundred bucks. Jeez. But the success of husbandry for those of us who love the hobby and love the animals, isn't just keeping them alive. Right. That's just the ground of it Mm -hmm. to be able to produce offspring and learn how to do that. Right. To me is like enhancing to me, that's transforming collectors into living artists. It's, 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 it's the, it's giving an opportunity for incredible discovery and to really touch nature and be touched by nature in a very deep and profound way. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's always good to have that project where you've been raising up the babies and you can't wait to put these two either pythons or whatever together because you're you you want to see the, the the coming together of those two animals into these new animals. And when you finally get those babies pipping out of the eggs, it's yeah, it's a feeling you really can't really describe because now it's there. And sometimes these projects can take. 10 years, 12, I mean, it can take a long time if you don't get it right the first time or you don't hit that one thing or he doesn't breed. And yeah, so it's, it really helps that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where ball pythons really changed the whole hobby. And maybe I hate to call it an industry, but it may be the business. Right. Because they were so easy to do. Right. Everything. Cultivate everything. Where, you know, I look at some of what's happened with, with Morelia and, and it's phenomenal and I really love it. But, you know, it's taken uh, exponentially more, well, maybe not, but it, it's taken countless more generations of offspring to come up with something that that's had or that's, you know, the whatever that, that's, explain, mm-hmm. that's displaying aberrant characteristics that are genetically transferable. Yeah, it seems to take a little bit longer for Morelia and other species than... Um, ball pythons and uh, I would say like corn snakes and stuff like that. The the readily easily produced in mass animals they seem to like new morph and then like in two years it's everywhere and has been mixed with everything and they, nobody likes it anymore. It's like oh <laughs> so. yeah. And part of the way that happened is that you know the balls are wild caught and we're mm-hmm. coming over in massive shipments. So there you know who knows how many of them are coming in. Right. Uh, so it's easier for a collector to go sort go to, go down to a, a, a an importer. And sort through 500 to find one that's displaying some characteristic. That looks a little funky, yeah. Where thanks to Australia's 
dynamics. You know, you can't really do that with jungle carpets. Right. No, you have to work on it. So when I had, I'm curious, like when you were getting together your group of jungle carpets, did you like, what was it? How did, how did you maybe explain like, what was it like to track them down? Were they, were they rare, hard to find? Did you have to go to certain breeders or? Great ones were hard to find. Yeah. And I bought them from everybody I could find really nice ones from. <laughs> gotcha. You know? Okay. So Don Hamper had some beauties. Casey was consistently offering really, really beautiful uh, jungle carpets. And um, yeah, a lot, as, as were a lot of other people. And again, this is probably where my memory's a little fuzzy. Right. Sorry about the dog barking. Right. <laughs> no worries. Um, We've had worse. Animal <laughs> husbandry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no worries. But, you know, I'd go through uh, reptile shows and, and buy a bunch and raise them and see which ones kind of got funky uh -huh. and get rid of them. And if I found one that stayed beautiful, I'd keep it. Right. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of that just growing it up and then seeing what came out of it and then moving forward with that. You know, and then there was the hint or implication of having some geographically specific represents representatives of the species. Right. Okay. You know, and whether that was subtle marketing or not, but, you, you know, bloodlines called TG, which just might have been because they came from Tully Gorge, Gorge right. or, you know, whatever, you know, and sure. it's kind of like... Uh, <laughs> You know who knows yeah 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 it was it's it's weird um when in 2018 i went to australia we went to tully gorge and like being a carpet python enthusiast you know you hear that all the time and you're like wow i'm standing here in tully gorge the you know the spot you know it's like yeah wow covered with cane toads what a yeah. what so sad you know yeah but really i came from like a dog breeder mind frame of where I want to get the finest animals to produce the finest animals. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's where I went through a lot of them to kind of find the breeders that I really most loved and wanted to continue and see if I could develop it. And I think, you know, I was lucky and did pretty good where if they're still talking about Python peat line of something, it's because <laughs> there were, there were characteristics that have held up. Yeah. Yeah. They have. Yeah. You thanks. can, you could definitely tell. I, I don't know about you, Owen, but as soon as you see a jungle carpet and a, you look at it, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that's Python Pete." Or I yeah, you're you. looking, you're looking at it, and someone says it's Python Pete line. You're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that make, yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense." So yeah, that's, that's astonishing that's to me. Yeah, it's it's something that people, it, you know, it, it had a gravity to it when you were doing it, and it has definitely progressed on. Because like you said, with dog breeding, it's almost like with like horses. Like having a certain pedigree or name in your jungle carpet means something. So, yeah. of course, it's gone further on because now my jungle carpets are a little bit better than, say, somebody else's jungle carpets because they're of a certain line or they have a certain animal in it. So that's definitely something that's definitely kept going. Yeah. Some of the top jungle breeders out there have animals that go back to your stock right so amazing and they use yeah. that with other lines that have come up to i mean it 
it, it it's got to be kind of it's it's kind of like almost sickening where um there are so many yellow and black like jungle carpet lines and breeders out there that um you can throw a rock and hit a really good looking animal so it's not it's not really hard to keep searching and and I think a lot of that is because you and a bunch of the other guys like Casey and stuff did all that searching and that grinding to get really good looking animal lines started so to the point where you know, I, I'm spoiled rotten. I have like three great jungle carpets that just fell into my lap. And I'm like, hey, yeah, it's really pretty in yellow and black. Cool. Like, nice. yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah. I think these sort of the opposite thing happens today where it's um, we're back in the in the earlier days. It was probably harder to find that trophy animal, whereas today it's it er, almost everything. I mean, by the standards of the 90s and early 2000s, everything's a trophy. Everything we yeah. have today is a trophy yeah. animal, you know. And um, I think it's important for new herpers coming into the hobby to understand the history of this and and understand that, you know, what what you guys had to go through to get us what we take for granted almost, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, by the time I came along and again, it was just from a pure hobby point of view, mm -hmm. um, you know, people like the Barkers and others were already producing animals and very well known. Sure. Right. And and I really didn't get into it for a livelihood at all. But as it happened from the years of addiction and alcoholism, I kind of had some severe liver disease. And coincidentally, about the time that um, I was unable to really work, all of my reptiles were old enough that that same year they all bred. Just you know, <laughs> almost all of them bred. Okay. And, uh, you know, so again, it's just doing what I love and, and finding the right thing. But again, it, it's not about competing with them. But mm -hmm. if I want to, if I want to offer something to the hobby, right. In the early days, if you could just breed the animals and make them available, that was the greatest was offer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was phenomenal. Right. It's unheard of. How did you go about trying to figure out how to breed them? I read everything and I, I picked people's brains Okay. and then I was very lucky, okay. you know, and uh, I'll tell you, um, the first time I bred Woomas, right. Mm. You know, it's, it's kind of a funny story because nobody, nobody would tell you, you know, and I'd bought Woomas from, uh, Rita's and Hamper and Gergen and, and, uh, and probably, I don't know if I'd bought them from Casey at that point. And, uh, I just love the animals, man. Mm -hmm. So, so one day, you know, I put my, I, 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 I had a female out. I put her outside in the iguana's old sunning cage, and I don't even know why. You know, it's like a, a beautiful spring day or so, or, mm -hmm. or fall day, and um, and spaced out and forgot her there until until evening. Right. And brought her in and she was cold. She was, she was cool. And, and just figured, okay, well now, you know, short time later, it's time to, if I'm going to breed, let's try it. Yeah. Right. And I remember hampered at a, a Florida reptile show and I'm there, man, I got diamonds and carpets and I got, I don't know, maybe if I didn't have diamonds that year, but I had Wumas and all of this stuff. And he's like, he's like, did you breed all of this? Because he couldn't believe that some new kid came right. along and, 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 got it all, yeah. and, and showed up with all this yeah. stuff. And I said, yeah, I did. He goes, well, how did you, he goes, well, how did you do it? How did you cycle your womb? As I said, I didn't. 
he wow. says, well, you must have cycled them. I said, well, you know what? Um, the only thing that happened is I had the female outside one day and left her into the night and she got pretty chilled. He goes, there you go. You cycled her. <laughs> so it's kind of like we, we think that this mystery yeah. is sometimes greater and, and, and more, more vast than it really is. Right. Yeah. And that was one of the kindest things. Don was, is Don still around? Don Hamper? I, I think he may have passed. Think, yeah, Don I think Hamper he passed, passed last year. Yeah. yeah, or yeah, yeah. He was a yeah. really nice man. Yeah, but yeah. that was one of. But he was in the reptile business, man. He did right. the little tr- sliders. He did everything, you know. Right. But that was such a kind thing he said. Of well, there you go. That's how you cycled her. Right. And the penny <laughs> dropped. Oh, right. Okay. And that, that, then it's not maybe it's not a one off or just a fluke, right? I can right. recreate this. I can stick her outside. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh-uh. Now it's my dog. No, don't worry. Mine will bark next time, and then we'll have all the dogs on all the different windows. So, yeah, but that's that's really cool to think about it. That you know, because now it's everything's formulated or formulaic. Everybody, this is how you get this to breed because this person did this, and this person did this, and this person did this, and a lot of people pick a formula and then try to recreate it not knowing that maybe their certain circumstance, their room, their animals might not be suited for that. And then they fail every year rather than trying to branch out and try something new or go here or go there, or, you know, like stick her outside for the day, you know, maybe that'll do it or something like that. So it kind of seems like the imagination is kind of dragged out of it a little bit. You guys got, you guys had all the fun. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm sure no. there's a lot of fun. Left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it was luck, but yeah. luck is not just all random. Luck is recognizing opportunities and being able to, uh, right. to, to utilize them too. Right. So did you have the Womas before the blackheads and then you moved to the blackheads? I must have, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I remember when I got the blackheaded, so that was a big move for me. Yeah. yeah. Was your thought that it was it was the same as Woma's and you sort of just followed that same sort of cooling, I guess, if you will? It was unknown how the hell to breed that stuff. Nobody, <laughs> none of the breeders would talk about it at all. Right. And in my experience, Woma's are a lot easier to breed than blackheaded pythons. Oh, that right. and, the, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and the egg husbandry is is much better. And yeah, that still seems to be a tricky thing today. Is, eggs. You know, I think a lot of people have success with the lock, them locking up and introduction and all that stuff. And they, the female ovulates and, and everything and they get eggs. But as soon as they get eggs, it seems to either go really good for some people or really or bad. Crash hard. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. How did you approach your, I mean, and that's a whole nother thing. Like, how did you approach the eggs? Yeah, like, breeding is one thing. Then, I mean, it's, then it's eggs. Then it's so how did you levels, the eggs? You know? Then how did you take care of the babies? Like, it's exactly all these different right. things. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing more profound than the experience with monitors to kind of uh, be a metaphor for all of that. Mm. Where first it was really about keeping them alive. Mm-hmm. Right. And are we allowed to talk about monitors? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. We just had a whole monitor show with, um, uh, oh my God, Mike's monitors the other week. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. yeah, so first it was just figuring out how to keep these things alive. You know, yeah. and I saw these little dwarf red acanthurus and loved them and glower oh, yes. tie and just loved them. The Kimberly Rock monitors. I love them. Yes, love and them. 
<laughs> and again, coming into it in ignorance, um, I went and bought trios of, okay. of each of those. And I think I bought the, the Acanthurus first and bought a trio. And But all my cages were front opening. Oh. Because for <laughs> snakes, you want front opening cages, right? Right, yeah. And I had this little Jack Russell Terrier named Pancho. Uh -oh. and, and I bought a trio because, you know, maybe they figured out how to sex juveniles now, but at the time they were completely unsexable. No. Yeah, and not a lot really. of guesswork, yeah. yeah. And, and quite likely even indeterminate because yeah. it always seemed that you wound up with a pair, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I was buying trios to have a better chance of a pair and, and, uh, and they were like 2,000, 2,500, they must have been more, like maybe 2,500 at that time, early okay. in the, when they were available. Okay. And uh, I put him in my little front opening cage and went in to feed him, and one of them ran out. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Jack Russell, being a really good dog who was my buddy, went and caught it and brought it back uh. and it delivered it to me. But the little babies are so fragile. Of course, it was dead. Oh, man. So it's, a, it, it's learning how to learn and then figuring out, okay, I need a top opening cage for these. They're much too fast. You right, know? yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so getting that and then figuring out how to keep them alive and how to, and then from there, how to get them to breed, how to figure out if you have a pair, how to get them to breed. And then the whole egg laying deal, yeah, you know, was, was because even if you can get them to lay, either they, if you don't give them the choice of laying where there's conditions that they can thrive in, they're going to dry up. Right. Or the other thing is it taking how many countless cycles of eggs did it take me to figure out that gee once once they're ready to lay you got to get the take the male out right because the males would eat them right wow. and and whether that's just total food behavior or because they were in small size cages and it's protecting you know whatever I don't know sure. right. Mm -hmm. um, and then figuring out how to give them conditions, you know, where learning how to make maybe a little nest box that they could go in and lay because they want to burrow in, in the wild. They're always burrowing. Uh, and then figuring out how to go from instead of forcing them into a nest box, which they really didn't like so well. Right. Um, how to create and find and develop a substrate where you could keep it damp enough and of a texture that they could tunnel and the tunnels wouldn't collapse, but that um, it also wasn't so damp that they would have fungal problems. Right. Right. Including the animal fungal problems. Mm -hmm. Right. And then figuring out that while we can control the air in a cage, the controlling the temperature of the, of the dirt was pretty much beyond my skill set. Right. So that the idea of letting them naturally germinate was impossible. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, again, how many cycles of trying to learn this to, to seeing when they're cycling, putting the mail in, knowing when to take it out, how to create a condition where they can burrow and lay, noticing when they've laid, and then digging them up and figuring out, okay, how do I incubate them? Right. Right. Down there. And with, with snakes, with pythons, it's a very pretty standard cut and dry incubation period across the board. Right. right. With monitors, it was completely a, a total mind fuck, if you'll pardon yeah. the expression. Yeah. 
because it can take three or it can be three or six months after the first one hatches to the lender. You know, you think, oh, the rest of them are duds. You leave them in the incubator. They can still hatch three or four or five or six months later. Jesus. Without rhyme or reason. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That, man, you know, I'm, I'm putting, I'm trying to put myself in that mindset of being at that time with not having the knowledge that we have today and, and really the frustration and the, and the, 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 you know, but at the end, when you actually see that little baby pipping out of the egg, my, my goodness, that must've been incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And then with, uh, you know, Akinthurus were pretty easy to raise up. They're pretty hardy. Right. But Kimberly rock monitors, not so much. That's what so, I hear. So yeah, getting them to hatch was one thing, but if your egg husbandry isn't so great, they can come out pretty weak. Okay. And if you don't know how to take care of the juveniles, I killed a lot of juveniles. Really? You know, right. they they have such a such a large surface area. They're so long and flattish that they de they they can dehydrate very easily. Right. And they're not always ready feeders. Oh, okay. Right. So where Acanthurus will chow down on anything, man. They, you know, yeah. <laughs> crickets, worms, whatever. Right. Flowers were very picky. Really? What yeah. what end up? What did you end up uh, getting them to go? What what got them to go? There was a point where I was catching. I was paying the kids to go catch baby lizards, and they, they would always <laughs> want to eat those. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, all right, that'll work. Um, okay. But again, it's got to be. It's one of those moments where if I got eggs and I put them in my incubator, I can easily grab my phone and Google how long do does it take these eggs to hatch? And there will be some sort of thing telling me temperature, yeah. length, and everything right there. And I think it's spoiled. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's too easy. But there's still a lot of husbandry stuff, you know, and maybe it's all cut and dry now. No, you know. no, <laughs> unfortunately, so no. Even with a substrate for, for Kimberly rock monitors, you know, knowing that they were dehydrating and having problems, um, when animals would, would seem to be getting sketchy, I'd want to put them on. I tried, I tried everything, you know, mm. so you try having some perlite or something where you can have a little water, but it's dry on top. And, you know, I had animals that would have moldy feet and lose limbs, uh, you know, lose feet or toes or, or feet even. Yeah. Right. Um, one story that my ex-wife used to love to tell is, you know, you have these things and they're so beautiful and you feel so responsible and you want them to live and thrive. And, and, and this one was crashing man. and I remember, you know, how do you learn? So yeah. I took a little eyedropper mm. uh -huh. and, and held the little sweetheart and put a drop of water in its mouth. Right. And it drowned. And my wife oh, walked no. in and I'm trying to give this little lizard mouth to mouth respiration. Right. Yeah. Wow. She goes, what are you doing? I said, I think I drowned it. No. You know? oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. But eventually the, the, biggest, the biggest factor was how I was incubating them. Mm. Okay. And there's a way where we can just barely get them to hatch. And then there's a way to where they're thriving in the egg and coming out much healthier. Is that just Is temperature? Or temperature more. It's temperature and moisture combination okay. as usual. Temperature and moisture. Okay. And maybe how quickly you find them and dig them up, and and how you're taking care of them. But right. the nice thing about lizards is they don't breed once a year. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you get a lot of a lot more a lot more 
chances, <laughs> chances, you yeah. know, and, uh, and that was the other thing, man, is finding out that nobody knew that monitors could cycle every month or every six weeks or every two months. Right. Jesus. Nobody knew. Wow. And that's where they just turned into such a cash cow where, where I was overflowing in monitors right. and, and, and teaching other people how to breed them. And pretty soon there's the market, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just how it works out. Is it just popped out everywhere? I've always been a Python guy, but as of recent, I've sort of, uh, I, I've kind of put off for a long time getting Ackies. And I just recently got them. Maybe, uh, I think in January, I got them. And um, man, what cool little lizards, man. They're they amazing. Are, they? I love them. I can't get it. it you know, they're starting to know me and they, you know, when I'm going to feed them and they're ah, it's just so different than a snake, you know. Nothing, it is. Yeah. It's, ah. And then I look at um, Kimberly Rocks, right? And I, I started to look at their pattern and stuff and I'm like, wow, this is where orig Aboriginal art came from. Maybe. Exactly. You know, and it's like, exactly you have like a living Aboriginal art piece. So I'm very grateful to Frank Ritas for the monitor contribution. Yeah. 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 Um, and I didn't really think much of his, of his Wumas is, you know, his Aspidites, he was making, he was producing them very early, but in terms of breeding for being selective and breeding them for characteristics, he wasn't, it was just having them and breeding them. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, he was happy to have large Wumas so that you get more eggs, you know, right. he was happy. But, uh, he, that, that guy had quite a bit of reptile in him. Yeah. <laughs> He's or another one that's still to the day. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Still today, still doing it or, or, or even today? Just talking uh, about well, it. Well, I mean, he, yeah, even just his, especially with monitors, I mean, he's a name that, you know, everybody sort of, I, I saw him on some post and he was talking uh, about it, about his approach to monitors and just the in depth way that he was able to describe what he was doing was you know it just it blew my mind it was like wow this guy's really in tune with what's going on you know well good in those days he wasn't giving up information <laughs> <laughs> and, and finally you know he would share just enough to maybe be a little successful and keep him alive but right. certainly not how to breed him wow and i think that i was the second one after him to breed kimberly rock monitors Okay. And uh, and I wow. think he was pretty shocked when that happened too, you know, because <laughs> they're, because they're trickier. Yeah, is it and, just, is it just because they're more sensitive that they're trickier, or is it? Uh, uh, it may be that their native habitat is is different than what I'm giving them. Oh, right? I gotcha. Okay, and uh, it may be that. Yeah, that their diet's different and their needs are different, and right. and again, who really knows? Right. right. Uh, when you look at something like diamonds, you know we can equate it to temperature. Right. But maybe there's variables in terms of what are what are the native food sources that they're eating, and what might be what are they eating. So what what micronutrients might they be getting indirectly that we don't know about that are completely off our our map? Sure, hundred percent. Yeah. The snake hobby is starting to to dip their foot in into that, where they're sort of starting to look at supplementation and uv light and and all these different things that maybe you know you can keep pythons without it but maybe 
better something for is missing you know that mm-hmm. it, 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 it reduces stress or you know whatever that whatever the factor is but it has some effect that ultimately leads to a healthier animal and that lives longer you know right part of the thing with diamonds also is you know we kind of thought or wondered if it might have something to do with calcium uptake and a need mm. for actual sun yeah. and um and also you know so i mean i did things that were a little off the wall and probably you know nobody else does or was you know like injecting rodents with calcium liquid calcium and also like maybe vitamin e type stuff uh as a way of trying to give them maybe nutrients or something that might not be available that might be missing otherwise well and that's the other thing too is the other thing they're starting to look at is that there's different prey items out there than a european bred rodent in a from a you know rodent breeder or laboratory so they're starting to actually branch out into different types of bird and things like that to offer as uh, meals for more pythons more readily used to be that you had one guy who knew one guy who could get you a bag of quail one time every three (laughs) years. Now it's like they're starting to actually supply them. So it's helpful for that too. Yeah. Have people figured out bolins? Yeah. Uh, There has been people that have bred them and they've had, had, several years uh, in a row several years in a row where they produce them but it seems that the the clutches are never they hatch they have babies but i guess maybe it's similar to what you were saying with the kimberly rocks right it's it's sort of like mm, you know the eggs don't look right they they don't they don't it, it just something's off, you know. For an animal that, that size, is. there's like five eggs that go the distance. Yeah. When like an animal that size should realistically be dropping much more, but right. it, it's it's that and and it's kind of hit or miss. There have been now some animals that were produced in captivity that are now old enough, and I don't know if anybody's having better success because the animals now have been completely raised born and bred in captivity, but it's still one of those things that is still kind of out there. And there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of research and there's a lot of people who get locks every year, but no eggs. So it's one of those things that still is kind of happening. Yeah. I don't know what that, uh, our good friend, Keith McPeak. I don't know if you've heard him or know of him, but, um, he, uh, he's, he used to do short tales exclusively and now he's sort of, over the past, what, Owen, what would you say, last five, six years, yeah, maybe? He's, he's he, done, he does Bolins and then whatever else he feels like. But it's, yeah, it's yeah just, he's at that point. You know, he's just, he's, but, just, he's uh, just trying those Bolins every year, and then anything else, he just tickles his fancy. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a lot of room for discovery still. Yeah. Yeah. But the people, but the point is, is that we want to, we tend to gravitate to a comfort zone and want to go with what's comfortable Oh yeah, rather than maybe be willing to risk failure because at the time I was into it, there was no success without failure. Right. 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 Very few people will have a room full of Bolins to try to figure out Bolins. Um, but everybody will have a room full of whatever well, breeds easy. 
I, I don't yeah. know what you guys think, but I would think it's probably somewhat of, um, you know, our own getting inside uh, our own selves of being jealous, maybe of like, you know, it's egg hatching season. And here you are again with the species that you were working with and you strike out and everybody else is like, woo, <laughs> you know, babies. And they all got their up. handfuls of babies yeah. and you're sitting there with like uh, yeah. three slugs and a female that died. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you push yourself towards that because it feels better and it's nicer and it's cool to have a ton of babies. So, but man, when you have success, man, that's right. When you get that one, oh yeah, (laughs) it's going to be so much better. When you produce a species that you've never produced before, it plugs you right back in. So I have produced a ton of carpet pythons. Last year was the first year I produced olive pythons and I'm holding those babies in my hand. And I would like this little Man, not a little, it's a big baby. But I, you were like, <laughs> I I was in awe of this thing in my hand. And it was yeah. just it, the coolest thing. And I can't wait to produce them again. And it's like carpets, forget you guys, get out of here. Like you're not like, yeah, it's yeah. one of those things yeah. where you kind of need to chase that, you know, that high of getting something new, that, 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 that cool new baby produced in your incubator. So it, well, it's the great mystery and yeah. it's the great miracle, you know, unfolding right there. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, we feed these animals and we're, we're feeding them vast amounts of rodents or whatever mm-hmm. they're, you're feeding these days. We're cleaning up a lot of shit. Yeah. And it's easy to see how rats turn to shit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very, when you get eggs and the eggs hatch and you think, how did rats turn into to this? this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> How did you two idiots that constantly try to bite me through glass make this thing? Like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's it, it's very addicting. Yes, yeah. you know, it's very that that that's that's yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a cool feeling for sure. So. Yeah, but it's not failure if we're learning from it. True. Then yeah. it's true. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, for me, I, you know, I, I try to tell people this all the time. It's like, you know, you, you sort of have these animals and you keep them and, and, you know, when I went to see them in the wild, it sort of changed me, you know, it, it made me come back and, and sort of have a different appreciation, if you will, of, of what it is. You know, it, I, I remember I was sitting on a rock in Chilago and I'm watching these skinks run around on the rock and I'm sitting there in my head and I'm thinking, I'm amazed by them, just amazed by them. And when I come back, I said, you know, uh, if I saw that at a reptile show in a deli cup, I probably wouldn't give it a second glance. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, how, how, how disappointing of, of, of myself is that, you know, it, it just is like, wow, I, I really have to learn to appreciate these animals for what they are, you know? So, well, not just the animals, brother. Yeah. You know, how do we appreciate each other for how we are? Yeah. How do we even appreciate our children? Sure. And when my focus is I'm wanting to break through over here, how do I look at the, how do I remember how to learn how to show up for the little miracle that's running around in my life? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why sadly so much of the time we don't know, we don't value things until they're lost, until they're gone. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, you know? Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. Hindsight is always 2020, unfortunately. You yeah, know, and in terms of you know, I, I I'm sure your show gets political a lot of the time, but you know, in terms of uh, 
the dynamics of our country and culture and the Asian hate that's going on and the social injustice and, and the violence against women and, and everything else, man, these are all just breeding projects that we collectively have to figure out how to make thrive and in a way that what you talked about, very human characteristic of, of wanting to succeed and wanting to be dominant and wanting to, and jealousy and all of this and lack. Yeah. Uh, these days, how is it uh, getting to that point where we know what we have is already enough and already very beautiful and what a yeah. gift, what we, what we have. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if that making that point of relevance very well. Yeah. 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 No, I, no, I, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things where I, like I, I've said it a million times that if I could go back in time and look at the snake collection that I have now, I would be insanely jealous of it. But I, of course, am sitting here going like, I could use a few more rough scale pythons. Like that's not, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you don't appreciate the, the animals you have downstairs. Cause you're always looking for that next project, that next animal, that next thing. Yeah. But if you think about it, there are several people that would probably kill for the collection that you have going on right now. So right. it's, you know, sometimes you need to take a couple of minutes and kind of take in your animals again and, recharge yeah 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 we often try to well you, you you may be able to to relate to this right you know i mean how cool would it be to have a rough scale python in the 90s it was a dream right, <laughs> right. you know i mean right. and today people are just like nah like look yeah. at this python it's yeah, the those, those people python. suck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many cool things about this snake you know and uh yeah yeah, even looking at your wall of cages, man, very beautiful, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, I got cage you, manufacturers everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And I remember when Don Boyer, who was a curator of reptiles at the San Diego Zoo, mm. came over for dinner one night and saw the habitats that I I, I had built. Uh-huh. He was like in awe. And he's like, man, I wish we could do that. And, you know, they had larger habitats right. that were really quite Remarkable, but everything right. else was pretty much in drawers and back. I think so. Oh, yeah. It all comes down to space again. Like I, you do the behind the scenes of like zoos, and you're you're shocked when you go back there and they're using like slant front neodesha, and you're like, what are you like? I have right. more. I have better stuff in my house. Like exactly. So it just comes down to that commodity. But it, it's, I think every once in a while you see like a jump forward and hurt the culture. First thing with the animals, then you start seeing it with like tools and cages and stuff like that, where you're seeing now many, when I first started, there was maybe two or three cage manufacturers. And now people are popping up all over the place that are getting the right kind of materials, getting the right kind of machines and producing really stellar cages that you don't have to wait, you know, four months or a year to get. So yeah. it's starting to make it much easier for people to have stacks of cages like Eric has and enjoy their animals rather than just having them in drawers and stuff like that. So it's just going to start growing more and more. And there seems to be a shift more towards setting up an animal like it's in nature and enjoying it more than just breeding it in a drawer. So, yeah, that's for me was the key to success was really enjoying the animal. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 I think that's, uh, you had hit on that earlier, how you would, you know, you were saying you come home from work and it was sort of an escape, you know, and, and that's the same sort of for me, you know, I go into my snake room and my, and my mind sort of goes to a spot and, you know, I'm able to get myself, you know, 
right? I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and just sort of, uh, relax myself and then, you know, I'm good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I see melamine is still around, huh? Uh, you just melamine over there or no, his are white plastic or white oh, PVC. Okay. Oh yeah. They're PVC. Yeah. yeah. Oh, melamine, okay. melamine is still around, but it's one of those things that like, I think everybody and everybody at one point goes through a phase where they have melamine cages yeah. and then they get wet. And then you realize that you don't want melamine right. cages as they, of course, cause ex- they blow up, explode yeah. and deteriorate. Cause I had a ton of melamine cages. Um, but then I spent a ridiculous amount of money shifting them all over to the black PVC. And now there's all these cage producers and things are much cheaper. And it's like, well, if I just waited. So, but then last summer I built a bunch of cages out of wood and sealed and stuff like that. And I enjoyed the hell out of that entire summer because I was building my cages, my way, building shelves and putting in logs and all this other stuff. So I was really enjoying that. That's as good as it gets for my guys. Yeah. That was fun. (laughs) How is PVC thermally? When you have a stacked, aren't they getting hotter and harder? As you, uh, you the- kind of have it, you put the heat on the same tier, and then they have the probe, so it kind of manages all through. Uh, but it doesn't really like melt. But it, the floor can get a little warm if you're not watching it. Yeah, because melamine was a little more insular. Yeah, right. And and so it would be right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, you have to really protect against wetness. Yeah. 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 So it's one of those things that. These cages here that I have, I found out, you know, that they're not tall and I need taller. I, 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 my, my idea of my diamond python cage is like almost, you know, maybe three foot high so mm-hmm. that I can p- sort of put ledges for them to yeah. sort of, you know, to, to, to bask on various ledges and, and put a nice big tree branch in there so they, you know, they can climb. That's up how mine and, were. Yeah. Mine were three feet high and then I had slide drawers. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Well, it's good to know I'm on the right track. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I got a question. It doesn't happen often that we get to talk to somebody that was, uh, you know, involved in the hobby back in the early days of, of, of uh, you know, Morelia, I guess, and carpets and walnuts and blackheads and all that stuff. Diamond pythons, did you work with a specific line? Was it as crazy about the pure, like today, purity is like, it's just for some reason the diamond pythons are just insane about purity in this line and that line is, was it like that back then? I worked with every line I could get. Eric Scove had some beautiful animals. There was a guy in Laguna who was, who who had been in and out of breeding diamonds for years. Okay. Uh, I forget his name. Okay. Um, So I had animals from a few different bloodlines. Okay. And, and supposedly out of the San Diego zoo stock. um, Yeah also okay and in, in terms of purity i don't know how you can tell because i produce 75 percent crosses that look just like a diamond yeah right. we've seen 88 percenters at one of our yeah. friends house and i walked in and i was like oh cool diamonds and he's like no i'm like oh shit like it was so uh, yeah 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 i have a cross that i would be hard pressed to sort of be able to tell the difference and again, I don't mean to keep veering into a different area, but mm. this whole notion of purity is somewhat absurd <laughs> because, you know, if you look at white nationalists and and people who are uh, part of that whole mind frame, we all come from mixed stock. Mm. 
Right. You know, if, if humans came out of equatorial Africa, equatorial regions in the beginning where it was warm enough and, and, and everything, then what are we really talking about with purity? Right. You know, and, and if we all evolve from, you know, microbial sludge and, and then we're sea creatures into the amphibians that crawled on land to lay eggs and, 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 and into reptiles and, and then maybe into, you know, uh, simians and, and then learning to walk. I mean, where, what, what, what the hell is pure? Man? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's drawing a line where you feel comfortable. Like we right. said, drawing a line earlier where it's like, I won't do anything with legs. Like it's where you draw the line on purity is, is where you feel comfortable. Like I feel comfortable with this, but I only go back one or two generations or, Hey, it looks like a jungle. It must be a pure jungle. Like that's where you draw the line. And then there's some people who won't call it a pure jungle until they have the paperwork in their hands that it was imported, which that paperwork you only know is truthful because you're believing the person who wrote the paper. Exactly. It's, and as far as purity went, I was kind of a purist where Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't really into the whole hybrid thing. Right. I, I mean, I did crosses, so maybe that's a lie, you know, but um, I wanted to preserve the natural beauty of the various species and try and, and, and breed to bring out more beauty by a, humus, by a purely human aesthetic right. in natural species. Right, right. So, um, well, it would be similar to like what people do with dogs, right? I mean, right. you know, it's... They all descended from wolves, but. <laughs> but know, again, you, I do think, I think another thing I was conscious of was diversity of bloodlines in the, in the breeding projects too. I think you need yeah. that. Otherwise yeah. you have, yeah. you have those loops where things are born with no eyeballs and you're like, right. whoops, we went too far. And then you have to backtrack where you, you do need some breeding diversity. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of times we'll talk about on the show, various bloodlines and stuff and, and such. And um, I think sometimes people take it the wrong way and like to me it's about being able to have uh, you know to be able to outcross mm-hmm. and to be able to have more genetic diversity to keep those bloodlines around in order to keep making healthier stock if you will animals and you know yeah um, it's kind of important but you know i did spend some time trying to do the old chongol project of Condro and yeah, Chandra, oh, oh, you know. God. I saw that. I had never heard them call that. You know, I've heard them called Carpondros and Chaviridis, and I, I was like, the "Oh, jungle. that's a cool I name." I like the jungle. Let's bring back you know, the I jungle. Mean, <laughs> I guess when people are really, I, I don't know if anybody's breeding them, but I guess when somebody really breeds them and they turn into a thing, there'll be a, a name for them. But, <laughs> you know, I, I loved it and would get them to lock up also, get them, get them breeding, uh, you know. Right. But uh, you never had success okay. with that? With never that? had success. Yeah, no. There, there's a few people that do it, but it seems like they can't get it past the first generation. Uh, yeah, yeah, people yeah. tend to just make the Jag Pondros now, and then they're all excited because their 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 Jaguar now has a green tint and will sit like a Condro. And then that's uh. as far as they seem to take it. And I don't know, like you said, if it's just because they can't get them beyond into the next generation, or that they got what they wanted—a green-looking Jag. So yeah. yeah, I don't even remember what the fascination was for me because chondros are just beautiful, yeah, just incredibly awesome, and so are so are jungles. So I don't know why that kind of grabbed my attention at right. one point, but mm. just something different, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess I didn't want to breed chondros. 
you know. And, uh, <laughs> so it was kind of like, but I loved having one or two around just right. because they're so, so, okay, what am I going to do with you? Right. Okay, cool. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else do we, uh, I don't know. Is uh, I think we hit on, hit on a lot. Owen, do you have anything you want to? I mean, like, I guess you, we talked about blackheads a little bit and I mean, I, I know we've also heard there's so many stories of baby blackheads now and how they're being like, you know, that they, they need to be, some of them need to be force fed immediately that there's a lot of, a lot of issues with babies, like with that, that, that hard stomach kind of stuff. Did you see any of those things when you kind of first started or was that kind of something you still had to kind of work your way into? I wasn't very successful with blackheads okay. and only had one clutch okay. that hatched. So, and again, I had all the other behaviors. It's one more and than I did. I, yeah, <laughs> I love the animals and uh, I think I hatched out three, you know, so um, my hat's off to people like Casey and Frank who were able to breed them with some regularity. Yeah. And, and there were different, very, very clearly distinctions in geographic and in characteristics of various blackheads mm. and um i forget what we were calling them then western yeah the western, western blackheads. Blackheads. okay yeah which were shorter and much more higher contrast they were and, more like black and white right mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay very black and white and the easterns that were a little more creamy or yellow and and twice the size <laughs> you know right I mean, that's, that's awesome. another one with purity. It's like for the the massive range that those animals have throughout Australia, you just broke it down into two. Like it's so right. I don't. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how, but going with purity with that is you're gauging that these animals that were labeled Easterns are all from the same Eastern part of the territory and stuff like that. So I almost feel like there should be more of the different ranges of blackhead and things like that but you would hope so yeah you know i do i do think the easterns in the u.s were much easier to breed and mm. there's a lot more of them and they were certainly bigger so so probably more attractive for breeders mm -hmm. right because you're going to get much larger clutches more right? eggs and more things like but that. i i really love the westerns or what we called westerns yeah yeah uh, they're the pretty ones yeah they, yeah they they're still called westerns yeah there's a lot of people debate whether or not they're you know Really true, western, so western. Same thing, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. It always happens. Yeah. You know, it's it's just one of those things. I mean, looking at I know you kind of don't really dive into herpticulture <laughs> too much, but like looking at kind of what's going on now, I mean, like, is it really that much different than when you were kind of doing it, or is it just same thing, different problems, different <laughs> insert different species, kind of stuff like that? I look at the forums now and then, but not too often. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it, the whole, I think, I do think that, uh, ball pythons and all the, all the variations really changed the market. Yeah. And, um, at the time it was a hit on Aspidites and Amorelia because it was very exciting and right. there's room for pioneers. Right. Um, you know, a few things that changed for me is when they closed off any exports of any Australian species, Ooh. even if you could prove that they came from captive bred stock. 
Okay. Was that like 92 or? That was during Bush. That was okay. Bush and Iran, and it was a concession uh-huh. that he threw them. Where it used to be, if you could prove they were captive bred, you could get CITES and ship uh-huh. them. Okay. Okay. And Australia basically came around and said, look, you know, um, we don't really care where you got the stock. There is no, 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 we don't want any of our animals being bred out of the country and, and shipped, right. even if it came from zoos where the, it's legitimate stock. Right. That wasn't our intention. So they kind of banned export of all the monitors and, and Australian pythons. Wow. Um, so I don't know. I get, I don't know if that's changed again. Nope. Well, 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 from Australia, yes, but I mean, you can still export and import from Europe. Yeah, uh, but okay. Well, they wouldn't issue CITES, right? Ah, okay. Well, then, at all for any Australian species at that point. There wow. was a push a couple of years ago by Australia to say that all Australian species were basically like fruit of a poisonous tree. That right. nothing was ever allowed, so there shouldn't be these animals. So there shouldn't be CITES for any australian animal anywhere in the world and i think i'm not sure where they got with that i think maybe some of those species some species did get caught up in that because i know it's notoriously difficult to import export rough scale pythons and things like that um and then also certain other things but i also know that there are legal zoological ways to get animals Mm -hmm. out of australia but you have to have you have to be on some the aza list to get certain animals. Yeah. Um, I just mean leaving Australia out of it. A large yeah. part of where I was shipping was to Europe. Right. So yeah. that's and, something uh, else now. So, yeah. Yeah. You so can- that happened during the Bush years to get them to kind of support our efforts in hmm. Iraq and that whole crusade. So, gotcha. I mean, I, to be honest, I don't think Australia is going to ever be like, yeah, you know what? Fine. Like, it's yeah. if anything, they're going to keep digging until the point where I don't know, you know, we'll I see. I don't, I, I don't, mm, I don't know, man. You I and I, think, you and I differ on that one. I think so. the reptile hobby in Australia is in its infancy, and I right. think that um, I think there are people, there are there. Let let me put it to you this way: I think mm. as the people that are in the hobby today start to be in charge of things, okay. they may see it as a different way. As like uh, to me. It it seems that it would only make sense that you can export captive bred. Now I'm talking. I'm not talking about wild caught stuff. I'm talking about right. captive bred that they're breeding then in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then you know what if they take a tax and they and they apply that towards conservation in Australia? You know, I, I mean, I don't know. It just seems. Why wouldn't you do that? Because they don't care about conservation, man. The government there is probably as corrupt as ours is most of the time yeah. you know? it seems that sometimes it seems see that me. way yeah because <laughs> yeah, we don't understand like why you wouldn't want to do that right know? the idea of protecting natural habitat is um yes yeah still yeah. sadly uh takes a backseat to right. industry and fossil fuels and all of that yeah. um i hope that the that the hobby has changed where with more message boards and online communication that there are some friendly relationships and genuine friendships that can even go beyond the hobby, the common bond of reptiles. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. We, I mean, we, we, we kind of started with that with um, Carpet Fest, which is like a yearly get together for listeners of the show and people on the forums and all this other stuff. So we kind of started doing that where it's like you, no snakes – you're not allowed to bring your collection. You're not allowed to just 
hang out, drink, talk, do whatever, nice, eat, and it's that. And and it went from like I think it was like ten people the first year to I I, I want to say yeah. we had close to a hundred at Eric's house the one time. I mean there was yeah. It, yeah. it got nuts. So it, it's that, and you're starting to see that kind of bridge the gaps where where you can kind of connect with reptiles and people who might be from entirely different walks of life, entirely different types of thinking and political views and whatever can kind of come together, sit down, relax, eat a meal, drink, and talk about snakes and whatever interests them. So it, it's kind of that. I do see more of that. I will say I also see more of keyboard cowboys who think that because they've kept the gecko for five minutes that they know all. So <laughs> oh, yeah. that'll never change. That's never going to happen. So Whatever happened to VPI to Dave and Tracy? They're still, they're still here, still around, still around, yeah. doing oh, their thing. Yeah. Um, they, glad they, to hear it. They're yeah. pumping out books every once in a while, and um, you know, schooling me variously on you know number of pythons that they've bred and how easy they did it. So you know, I'm <laughs> racking my brain on Timor pythons. I'm like, well, no one's ever. Of course, VPIs produced them. That's like, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. Well, if you think of it, semi regards. So there's so many people who directly and indirectly helped me on the way. Oh, yeah. And okay. I, I really appreciate people who have that kind of longevity in it. Yeah. And it's the same in jazz. The people with longevity is just astounding. And just for various reasons, uh, I've kind of gone through different phases, whether it's being a musician or reptile phase, which wasn't a phase. It was a passion and all consuming until health concerns right. made it impossible. Gotcha. Know? Right. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, the community I think um, today is uh, at least the Morelia community is 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 probably the one that I see most like family, right? Mm, um, yeah. You know, uh, I've met so many great people that I would consider family, and you know, um, where we never would have crossed paths in normal day to day life, you know, and no. it sort of makes you. I guess I guess my takeaway from all that was kind of if we can agree on this, what else can we agree on? <laughs> Beautiful, <laughs> you know, Beautiful. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's it's it makes you think, it makes you think of them as as people with opinions and ideas, and like maybe we can come to a common ground and you know try to move stuff forward rather than just being always in this gridlock against my tribe against your tribe. I guess you know, right? Yeah, I really love that. We need it. Yeah. And unfortunately, most of the, well, many people in the reptile hobby were, and it's true in jazz a lot of the time too, but, you know, we're less than wonderful people. Mm. We yeah. had, there was a high ratio of kind of arrogant assholes and people yeah. who really were, yep. didn't really demonstrate kindness, compassion, and care on an interpersonal level, you know, and yeah. Um, well, and, and that's the fun of it. It's like I've had uh, I've had monitor guys hear about Carpet Fest, and they're like, "Can I come?" I'm I know I'm not a Morelia guy. I'm like, "Yes, of course you can." Like, yeah. all you got to do is bring food. Can you bring yeah. food? Yeah, you yeah. can come. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. that's all. Uh, we don't mean worms. Yeah, please. Like you know, human <laughs> no crickets. Food. Yeah, human yeah. food. Human no rats. Crickets. No yeah. quail. <laughs> Just yeah, and it's that, and it's one of those things where I kind of want more people of of not just Morelia to come because. You know, I want to find that one Morelia guy that's kind of been interested in monitors or something like that, but is maybe a little too shy to talk about it on a forum. But now he he's sitting across from a monitor guy 
having dinner yeah. and they strike up a conversation and now all of a sudden it explodes. And now I, now there's somebody else who's insanely passionate about two types of animals who will help better the hobby. And that's yeah, the whole right. point. Yeah. The, it's bettering the world. Right. If we're, if we're doing that and, and I, and I should add before we go that mm-hmm. I failed in a lot of, a lot of areas too. You know, I never bred Sanzinia successfully. Bolands, oh. I, Bolands, <laughs> I dipped my, I, I got a few and of course they were all wild caught mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I did not succeed. And, um, and it was too much for my wife. You know, the stress of having the kids would get attached to chickens and ducks when I'd bring them home or whatever, oh, trying oh, to get yeah. it in the deep. But, <laughs> oh, uh, you know, there was a lot of failures. Yeah. Was there a, a, was there a species that you always wanted to work with, but you couldn't work with because of either availability or it just wasn't, you know, uh, out of price know. range or something like that, that, you know, that, that you would have liked to have worked with? There's, there's, um, yeah, there's a bunch of them, you know, there's a bunch of them. Right. And I look at animals today and I think it's astounding, you know, Jagger, you know, whatever, even just among Moralia. But uh, I think that Bolins is something I would have, I would have wished to, I could have had a room full of them and tried to figure out a way to do it. But again, it didn't make sense because they're just so large and there were so many health issues. Yeah. Um, there was a period where I really liked Angolans and, yeah. and they were too expensive to work with. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, but again, it's always the one you don't have that looks so attractive. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's the part of this whole being human thing is for me, it's, it's figuring out how to really want what I have and be happy with it. Yeah. Appreciate Instead of this constant thirst and hunger of thinking my happiness is somewhere in the future, right? Yeah. I wish I could have done green tree monitors and had some success. I never owned any. Yeah. I had some Mertens, never figured that one out because I, I just didn't have the the, the way to provide a, an aquatic environment at all right. and, and work with that. Sure. Uh, so many need animals. Right? Yeah, that's the problem is there's a ton of them and we all can't have you know, a zoo in the backyard. So you got to kind of figure it out. I used yeah. to look at bread lion, think they were just uh, beautiful. And then other times I'd look at some bread lion, just think, yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do that with my bread lion. I'm like, you guys suck. And then the sun hits them. Like, <gasps> like Oh Ooh, God, you're yeah. gorgeous. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's um, one of those things. Um, did you have anybody that you really looked up to in the hobby, either coming in or, or even now that you're out of it? I look up to anybody who, uh, who has probably produced more animals than they've killed. Well. <laughs> you know, and, and really the heartbreak, not so much with pythons, but th- there is a lot of heartache, especially with monitors. There's a lot of death to deal with. And yep. uh, we don't talk about that. Yeah. You know? mm. Everybody, um, nobody ever really kind of delves into that, which is, I can see why. And, but it is also kind of a shame because it, 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 as long if the animal dies, the animals are going to die. And that's, and that's the sucky part of it. But you need to, like you said earlier, you need to learn from it and you need to gain something from it. Otherwise it, 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 you are just spinning your wheels. So 
if you've learned something, it is helpful to convey what you've learned to other people. And because we rarely talk about animal deaths and things like that, I think a lot of stuff goes untaught. Yeah. So right now I look up to you guys <laughs> and, I, and I'm not blowing smoke. But I love what you're doing for the hobby, and I like the level of interpersonal care and humanity that you bring into it. And there were people in the hobby who I thought were my friends because I talked to them every couple of days right. and picked their brains. And they, they were reptile friends right. who, when my son died, never picked up the phone to say, how are you doing? Or I'm sorry. Right. So yeah. there's things to admire in a lot of people, but also um, in the end, I, I hope that whatever we're doing is helping to inform and help us grow our humanity and that whatever love for animals we have, we learn how to nourish and bring into other areas of our life that really aren't quite so easy to love. Yeah. 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 A hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's like I said earlier, I, I, I think that when you have a common ground with somebody, I think, and a common passion, like a genuine passion, you can sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not understand. Um, maybe you can put aside your differences, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. or they, they don't seem as, as big as mm -hmm. they did. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. They don't seem as, as, as big, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I've met some great people that I can, that I think, I think for me, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what your experience was, but for me, I try to just, I, as soon as somebody just seems like they're not positive or, you know, they're not, or they're negative about the hobby. I sort of push them out of my life. I, you know what sure. I mean? I, I, just, I, just I try to surround myself with people that have the same kind of passion and, and love. Yeah. And, well, we have to protect ourselves. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's easy for me to say that I have such great friends in the hobby because, you know, I just have people that, I've sort of surrounded myself with, you know, I mean like, Owen. I didn't know Owen and he just called me out of the blue and here we are 10 years <laughs> later doing a podcast and we're still, you know, he's like my brother. You know? yeah. I guess I'm more like his dad cause I'm 10 years older than him. But... I mean, yeah, there's that too, but you know, it's... but I get that it's the kind of friendship yeah. where if the wheels fell off in some non reptile area, you would be there for each other. Yeah, well, that's, oh, that's yeah. the funny thing is like, I yeah. told, I told my fiance, I'm like, I'm going to go to Eric's real quick on Saturday. She's like, so you'll be there for five hours. I'm like, I will not. <laughs> like, no. And I'm like, yeah. I know I will be. I'll be there for five hours because yeah, we'll start talking yeah. about something. We'll start going through snakes. We'll start talking about books and all this. Yeah, I'll be there for five hours. So, <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. So yeah, a couple of people whose names I haven't mentioned. Mm. Um, Ron Huffaker is okay. a is a, was a wonderful friend and a really uh, an incredible reptile breeder. Right. Uh, very much into his tortoises and everything else. And uh, just a, him and his wife, or Mary, are really remarkable. Uh, Eric Kreider, I don't know if he's still around, was just a wonderful, warm, welcoming guy who was doing some really wonderful, great work. 
Yeah, I don't know if he uh, is. I'm trying to think about. I'm trying to think if I. I haven't heard his name in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Eric Kreider, I know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then Ron Saint Pierre. Yep. Oh, I love that yeah, guy. Yep. 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 He's Wonderful been on the guy. show. Yeah. Yep. Oh, he's, good. He's yeah. fun. He was cool. You know, it's funny you bring up him. You know, similar to you, right? You're, I mean, to us, you're Python Pete. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> there's, it's like, there's a weight to it's, this. It's, <laughs> it's sort of like. I guess there's sort of a, 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 for lack of a better word, like a rock star status to that, uh, you know? And like to you, it's probably like, well, I'm, I'm just Pete. What are you talking yeah, about? You, <laughs> you know? Right. You know? But to us, it's like, no, you don't understand. This is, yeah. and with Ron St. Pierre, I mean, it was so humbling when he wrote, he wrote a review of our podcast years ago and saying we're the best reptile podcast ever was. And yeah, I mean, for a guy like that to say that about us, I, I, just I like, question, I'm like, yeah. did he listen to the show? Like, does he, <laughs> Ron, I, I appreciate it, but really Great guy. like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that it's really cool to watch those people kind of still be in the hobby and still be influential and, and, you know, kind of guide us two idiots. <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> you know? yeah. And another really classy guy is Robin. Um, I'm trying to think of his, maybe it's Robin Markland or something. Uh, oh yeah. From, yeah, um, from, uh, uh, Oh God. He does pro super reptiles now, but yeah, yeah, he was pro exotics. exotics. Yeah. He, he was yeah, yeah. a really wonderful guy, a very caring and engaged guy beyond the reptile business, just yeah. a big hearted, wonderful person. So when you ask who I really admire and look up to, it's more these days, it, it has to be answered as human beings mm -hmm. beyond just their contribution to the industry. Right. You know? right. A guy like Alan Rapashi, who was a friend and a local guy, you know, is, is really done well and really helping to make people successful with his food supplements yeah. and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you got to think about that. Like he, how much trial and error went into that. And now people just grab a bag of Rapashi and they're like, it's easy to keep geckos. I'm like, because someone made it easy for you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's why I feel that it's important to sort of, um, you know, have have people like yourself that have been doing, you know, did this back in the day and the struggles and that history is now sort of capsulated forever, right. you know, on the podcast. Hopefully, it, you know, unless, you know, the grid breaks down and all everything yeah, is all, wiped all is away lost. or yeah. whatever. But, you know, you never want to get to the point where people don't remember why it's called a reed stack, why it's called Rapache. <laughs> like you, you want to yeah. people need to know why these things yes. are called these things. Like we get to the point now with Morelia that people are like MBB. What does that stand for? Madam Blueberry. That was a snake. <laughs> like it was. Yeah. So yeah. we wow. have to explain this to people. So it's better yeah. to have these connections to the herp history. So, yeah. And it's got to be. I can see it's a lot of fun for the two of them. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 It's a blast. That's why so there's another rep. If, 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 uh, if Ron said this is the best reptile blog, that means there's another one? There's oh, there's several. Tons there are tons yeah. of reptile podcasts. Yeah. yeah. We've no just kidding. been, we just the ones that won't die. Like, yeah. It's like we, <laughs> we've just been here for 10 years. So, yeah. Yeah. We were sort of the, like, we were one of the first ones to come out to do it. Um, but, um, yeah, there's there's probably at least I would say probably twenty say so, different yeah. podcasts on on from, reptiles. Some from Australia, some from the UK, 
um about we do different species we do at least we do 10 10 different podcasts channels. yeah we have 10 no different kidding. yeah we have yeah. 10 different shows on the channel yep summer you know owen does a show with colubrids we do a show called carpets and coffee where we just sort of hang out and drink coffee and drink shit, coffee shit. and yeah. um, talk animals yeah. and you know yeah. all that Beautiful. kind of stuff um yeah yep all different kinds yeah. of stuff we're working That's on a monitor work. show Yep, working on a yeah. monitor show and then yeah. a show for where we just do field herping and talk about stuff we found out in the like a field herping trip or something like that. So fantastic. All that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's my new passion is field herping because it's when you fun. go <laughs> when you go just in the US, there's so mm. many different habitats just in the US. And yeah. when you start to see how beautiful the world is, it's such a big place. And we're only here for a short time and Man, try to see as much as you can. Right. I, I can't stress I'm that enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So very cool. But I appreciate you yeah, taking man, the this time awesome. to talk with us and yeah, really had Thank a, you, gentlemen. a good chat with you. And uh, a lot of fun for me too. Yeah. Definitely. And uh we'll 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 have to see if we can bring you back around for another round or something like that, or uh, we can coach you out to something if we're in the area. So. Okay. I don't I really don't know what I have to add to the hobby at this point, but it's kind of, <laughs> it's fun. Just they, it's all been so far off my mind mm -hmm. for a lot of years. Right. It, it's kind of like I was out of the music industry. I got clean mm. and like, uh, it just wanted, needed to learn how to be a square. Maybe right. you want to stop this. I don't know. And then somebody called up and wanted to re-release -re one of my records. Really? Cool. And I thought, I, and I'm at that point, I'm in the reptile business, and I, I thought it was a crank call. Really? <laughs> I'm like, what are you? What? Yeah. He goes, yeah, you know, your album is one of the great albums, and I did this, you know, your album Living Right, and we really would like to re-release it. And I said, you got to be, who is this? You got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's awesome. I have to ask one last question: What do you what do you play? Do you play? guitar i play saxophone and saxophone. clarinet okay oh yeah. okay all okay. right and you know who knows man music i put it down for 20 years when when i got into recovery uh-huh and then picked it up again until valley fever kind of decimated my lungs oh, okay. and uh and and the re the resurgence of my music path was really better than ever so you never know the day may come man where i'm back in reptiles of some sort <laughs> right if i wind up somewhere and i see an animal that just talks to me right yeah yeah, yeah. i still dream about them i i have dreams where i'm in the yard and and i see a lizard and it's like oh my god that's a red ackee it's the one that <laughs> must have escaped you know it's like <laughs> been living in the yard this whole time <laughs> well we got so many lizards around here right? sure yeah, yeah. That's that's good. That's awesome. Well, maybe it's my call to field herping. Right? They, it, there you go. I enjoy that because <laughs> then you just take the picture, and then you go home. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, 100%. But, well, thanks for what you're doing, Eric, and and both of you, man. It's, thank uh, you. Thank you. A yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. Take care. Absolutely. All right. See you. Bye. All right. All right, Owen. We will close it out. Alrighty. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know how to leave. <laughs> <laughs> there's no getting out. I'm back in again. I can't get out. I think <laughs> there should be see. a leave button somewhere. Me, there you go. Okay, thank everybody for listening to Morelli Python Radio. Uh, if you want to see what's going on with us, you can check out our website, MoreliPythonRadio.com. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel, NPR Network. 
Uh, and uh, we uh, also are on Facebook and Instagram. Our email is info at morelpythonradio.com if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, if you have a question or a guest you'd like to hear, a topic you'd like to hear. Comments, uh, concerns. Please, sure. Raise feel emails. <laughs> yeah, please feel free uh, to reach out and get in touch with us. Cool. Uh, if you want to follow Eric, it's EB Morelia or it's EB underscore Morelia at Facebook and Instagram. If you want to follow Riley, it's Riley's underscore reptiles at Facebook and Instagram. Lucas is Centralian underscore exotics at Facebook and Instagram. Myself, Owen, is rogue underscore reptiles on Facebook and rogue reptiles on uh, Instagram. And if you want to follow Rob, it is high plains herps on Instagram. Please go to the Teespring store. You can get all the Morelia Python radio carpet fest rogue reptiles and eb morelia merch all over there plus any store any t-shirt that we have for any kind of fundraiser will be there also upcoming carpet fest shirts will be there as well we also have a patreon page with new levels coming out to offer new things for subscribers go over there and subscribe to the patreon ready for the podcast list we have on the channel morelia python radio the original we have carpet Cliff Notes, we have Colubri Corner, we have Student of the Serpent, we have Carpets and Coffee, which is which is one thing we also do is a live show on Mondays. Um, if you like Herp History and Natural History episodes, you can listen to the episodes on the NPR feed. We have Humans of Herpticulture. We have, what the hell are the two new ones? <laughs> it's just... The Field Herping Podcast and the Monitor Keeping Podcast. The Monitor Keeping Podcast. We're bringing goddamn legged reptiles into this channel. <laughs> yes. What's next? Frogs? <laughs> no. That's Never. where the line is. Never going. frogs. That's where we draw the line. Yeah. So that's all we have for everybody tonight. So we'll say thank you all for listening. And we'll catch everybody back here next week for some more Marilyn Python Radio. Good night. Good night.